Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We could form our own secret society. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yugi, and welcome, once again, to a nuclear reading show. Today, we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria. And also, if you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh, and a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda and Hasbro played My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 32. Conversations in the calm before. Well? I had just barely floated the painting of Splendid Valley back into place when Homage came in. Well, what? I asked, hoping it didn't sound as guilty as I felt. Did you sneak around my back and break into my safe to look at your memories, even after both I and you told you not to? Oh, goddesses. It was bad enough that I was disappointed in myself. But just how deplorable was it that I broke into Homage's private safe to do so, 
I hated my curiosity, and I hated myself for being so weak. I looked to Homage, wondering what to say. Should I admit it? Would it hurt her? Did she already know? Little Pip, Homage said with a sad yet stern voice. I don't know what upsets me more, that you broke into my safe and tried to undo everything you'd worked so hard for, or that you'd actually considered lying to me about it. But I... My heart broke. You paused to think. Homage frowned. It doesn't take that long to think of how to say yes. My gaze fell to the floor. I think you'd best sleep elsewhere tonight. I felt my blood freeze. I looked up into Armage's eyes, pleading. The beautiful little grey unicorn gave me a soft, sad smile. I was there when you gave your little speech to yourself. I knew you were probably going to do this, and so did you. I hoped you could be better than that. Her words hit me like a buck to the gut. But I'm not angry at you for failing. Just disappointed. I would rather she be angry. Disappointed hurt so much more. I could handle being yelled at, but the idea that I'd failed and sat under Marge. Marge looked at me tenderly. Before you'll let your worries take you to dark places, I'll tell you this up front. This doesn't change my feelings for you at all, and my disappointment will be short-lived. I'm not sending you away because I don't want to see you. I'm sending you away because you've been bad, and I'm punishing you. She gave me a little smile. And I think we both know that you need that as much as deserve it. The smile faded. I'll see you tomorrow, little Pip. It took most of the ride down in the elevator to figure out why I needed punishment as much as deserved it. There was no question of the latter. The pit in my stomach and the self-loathing in my heart told me that I had done wrong. I had wronged myself. And far worse... I had wronged her, my voice in the darkness. And with that, even if she forgave, I would never be able to accept the forgiveness until she had punished me for it too. I couldn't tell why my tail was twitching. I needed something to fall on my head, or I'd always be looking for it. I wasn't entirely sure how I'd come up with that analogy. Awareness, it was under E. But I knew that it was appropriate. I walked slowly down the hall towards the door to our suite, casually unlocking it with my telekinesis. What was once unimaginable had become a feat of such ease I barely focused on it. My mind was largely elsewhere. I was determined to remain at Tempony Tower for a while longer. Not for myself, but for my companions. Each of them had nearly died in the last few days. Zenith and Calamity would both have been turned to ash by the Hellhound's attacks if it had not been for the spell that Velvet Remedy had learned from Lifebloom last time we were here. Each had suffered fearsome wounds... Velvet's injury had still left her in a cast despite the most powerful healing magic and best care the wasteland could provide. Nor was I untouched, but I feared for them more than myself. Deep down, I somehow knew that I was expendable, and they were not. I had a lot of repairing to do. I wondered if I should try and get them counselling. Or should we work through this alone? I wasn't sure where best to begin, or even how much I may have already done. Was I doomed to spend the next days repeating discussions we'd already had, but I didn't remember, seeing my friends look at me awkwardly as I initiated difficult conversations for a second time? Couldn't I at least let myself have some notes? Of course, as they say, hindsight is... 
well, no. Even that didn't really apply. My hindsight was perforated. Even worse, I was smart enough to realise that I shouldn't be trying to put the pieces back together. If I thought about things too much, I might be able to reconstruct lines of logic that I didn't want to have in the forefront of my brain when I next fronted the goddess. I suspected that Trixie's telepathy didn't extend much beyond reading my surface thoughts. If it had, I think things would have gone a lot differently in Maripony. Or perhaps she could, but just required a level of focus the goddess couldn't commit to while maintaining a collection to all her alicorns. The fact that Calamity had been able to surprise her about something he had been looking at told me she wasn't nearly as top of my current thoughts as she wanted us to believe. Still, if I knew the plan, or even suspected what I was up to, there was no way I could avoid thinking about it while I enacted it. These thoughts so preoccupied my head that I did not even notice the sounds as I entered the room, but the sight stopped me dead. Calamity and Velvet Remedy, together, in bed, intertwined, moving, doing... I shouldn't be here, leaving now, bye! I'd become rather experienced at stealth. I was able to slip out fast and smooth, without making the slightest peep, without being seen. The click as I closed the door behind me sounded louder than Little Macintosh. I froze. My whole body was tense. My nerves covered in ice. My mind was reeling. I couldn't begin to formulate feelings of my own about what I had just walked in on. I was still panicking. On the other side of the door, I heard voices. My heart was pounding. Did some pony just open the door? I locked it, he responded. And then, almost in perfect unison, Little Little Pip! Pip. I ran, as fast and silently as I could. As I raced down the hall, I could swear I heard Zenith's voice float out of nowhere, proclaiming, Doomed! I clocked my hoof upon the door to Twilight's Anthonium. Part of me knew I was supposed to be banished from Mamaja's company for the day, but I wasn't looking to get away with anything. Just to get away. I needed a place to hide, and a place to stay the night. An homage came to the forefront of my thoughts. No pony answered. The door was locked, and I wasn't about to unlock anything else without permission. I dashed up the stairs to the balcony and lifted my hoof towards the door to the emergency broadcast station. Was she busy? Would the beat of my hoof interrupt a recording? Did I have the right to take that risk? And what would she have to say to me? How could I ask her to make an exception for me because I had managed to invade the privacy of even more of my friends? Doomed indeed, and I deserved it. I put down my hoof. I'd just spend the day wandering aimlessly around Tempony Tower, avoiding every pony, and waiting until the final hour of my exile was over. Not a problem. I could go half a day without getting myself in trouble. I heard a chime in the atrium below. The elevator door slid open. I crouched flat on the balcony as I saw Velvet Remedy and Calamity step out into the atrium. Calamity helping support Velvet with one of his wings. Oh, goddesses. I couldn't face them right now. I backed up against the MASEBS door, hiding. Do you think she's upset? Calamity's voice sounded below. I could hear the odd thump of Velvet's foreleg cast as she moved awkwardly into the atrium. Well, I wish that she'd just see this as an opportunity to get back at me for some of my teasing. Velvet Remedy's voice floated up to me. Her chocolatey smooth voice had a slightly harried timbre. But I doubt that she will. The poor girl had a crush on me for ages. 
And while I have been under the impression that she's over it, I worry she might still feel hurt. Did I? I wasn't sure. I was still too wrapped up in the fear of being caught. And now, I worried that I might feel like that. It would be unfair and selfish. I had a relationship with Amarj that left me... exhausted, to be honest. What right did I have to begrudge anyone else a relationship of their own? Especially my two closest friends. I should be happier for them than ever. I honestly don't think you give Lily Pup enough credit. She's got too much heart to let jealousy eat away at her. Or us. I reckon I got more to worry about in that regard from your bird. It dawned on me that I wasn't feeling happy for them. I didn't think I was jealous. I wanted to be a much better pony than that. If I was jealous, I didn't deserve the friendship of either of them. But no, I don't think it was jealousy either that I was feeling. It was concern. An achingly pessimistic worry. Calamity's voice rose up from below again. Do you think she's here? Seems awfully... Quiet. Yes, now that you mention it, if she was in Omaja's company, I would expect we would be able to hear her. At least, that is what Zenith would have me believe. I buried my face in my forehooves, suddenly blushing. There was absolutely no way this could get more awkward and humiliating. I mean... Thirty-one? Celestia's mercy. Okay, I was wrong. Now it couldn't get worse. That's a lot, right? Calamity asked in buckish ignorance. Yes, that's a lot, Remedy said. I could almost hear the rolling of her eyes. Did you? No. Did Calamity really ask that? I heard the soft smack of Velvet Remedy's hoof. Good for her. You do not ask a lady that calamity, she scolded. Then, in a smaller voice, she admitted, Yes, twice. Twice? Oh, the big idiot. And we were, then she was... I felt my ears burning as I realised my Pegasus friend was trying to do the math. How the hell did she have time to come to Splendid Valley? Indeed, Velvet said with a slight trace of bitterness. Clearly, Amarja's cutie mark should be Little Pip. Obviously, that's what she's best at doing. I wanted to melt into the wall and disappear into some void beyond. I wanted the moon itself to come crashing down through the ceiling and crush me. I didn't want them to find me, and I didn't want to be hearing this private conversation. And the mere thought that they might discover I had been unintentionally eavesdropping made me die inside. I heard a splash. One of them had stepped into the fountain's pool. After Maripony, I finally understood the alicorn in this room. Velvet's voice mused, changing the subject. I had been wondering how and why Twilight Sparkle would have chosen such a decoration. When we do find her, Calamity stated slowly, I think ya to do the Tarkin. Oh, and why is that? Well, y'all are just better at it than me. Little people want to know about what we are now and all. I'd just mess it up. And what are we now? Damn it. Calamity sighed in frustration and confusion. That's just the question I was trying to avoid. Slowly, he admitted, I don't know. Velvet's voice was gentle and kind. You're Calamity, and I'm Velvet Remedy. Just like we were before, only more intimate. 
I heard another splash. I'm not going to push us to be anything more than you want us to be. I'm never going to tie you down or demand a commitment that you aren't looking for. I couldn't help but feel this conversation was built on a great many that I hadn't been privy to before, and that I had no excuse to be listening to this one. My mind began to scramble for ways to escape. Yeah, I don't even need to ask, girl. I know, Velvet purred. But I need you to know that I'm not going to change anything about you. Well, except maybe for your grammar. I just want to be with you. If I opened the door behind me, closed it and stood up quickly, surely they would think I just stepped out of the station behind me. It seemed like a good plan. The door was locked. Of course it was. Well, surely I couldn't get myself into any more trouble. Oh, dang it. I don't know nothing about what to say. I ain't any good with this sort of thing. You don't know anything to say, Velvet tried pointlessly. Uh, yep, I wish I did. Maybe I should just hold you? The lock clicked. I slid the door open, then stood as I closed it again. Little Pip. Little Pip? I looked down at them, both standing in the fountain's pool, Calamity's forehoof sliding away from an interrupted embrace. My heart raced, and I blurted out the first thing I thought of. Oh, hello! I was just in there with homage in the place, doing the thing! They were giving me odd looks. I wanted to face her for myself into unconsciousness. Instead, I gave them a focused and probably awkward smile. They looked at each other, then back to me, their expressions melting into ones of compassion and concern. I realised that my awkwardness could have been taken as discomfort over what they knew I had seen, and not what they didn't know I'd heard. Velvet Remedy started to call up to me. The door behind me opened and homage peeked out. Little Pip, did you just try to come in? Her eyes narrowed at me. That is not how punishment works. Calamity and Velvet Remedy exchanged looks of quick realisation. Doomed. I'm not a clever pony. After twenty minutes of explaining and confessing and apologising with a hint of blubbering, I found myself sitting across from Velvet and Calamity at Amarge's table, feeling small and guilty as Amarge made everybody tea. At last, however, I had been able to put solid thoughts with my feelings. The problem now was how, or even if, I should voice them. What if my worries were correct? What damage would I do by shining a light on them? Or worse, what if I was wrong? But my questions led to doubts in their own minds. The silence stretched awkwardly between the three of us. Velvet looked patient but strained. Calamity fidgeted. If I said anything, it would have to be now, while they were together, and could draw support from each other as they answered. But what if... Calamity rubbed a hoof on the table absently asking Velvet, "'Hey, you figure they did it on here?' I changed the subject quickly, and not just because the answer was yes, and I didn't want them thinking about that when Amarge put tea and a plate of cakes on the table. "'I guess I'm just concerned. I mean, you two are my closest friends. We travel everywhere together, and with hardly any pony else.' "'And you've worried we've grown intimate out of convenience?' Velvet Remedy finished for me tactfully, uh, pretty much, yeah. Calamity snorted. Now, I know y'all might think that way, coming from a stable, but I've been down here for a while now, and I've had plenty of other options. Just never cared for them. He nodded upwards. 
had options up there too. But none of the mayors in the service shared my feeling about helping the pony folk down here. A rat turn off, if you ask me. I had to admit, I'd never considered the idea of Calamity having relationships available to him even with any pony other than us. He just seemed like such a lone defender that I thought of him being as much as a stranger to the rest of the world as we were. But I hadn't Railwright claimed that Calamity had been offered a home and a place in New Appaloosa. Homage came in with the tea and the cakes. She smiled and gave me a little kiss on my horn, which suddenly felt pleasantly warm as she floated a cup of tea onto the table in front of me. I'll admit, Velvet Remedy began, that I was worried about the same thing at first. The first thing that attracted me to Calamity was his wings. I swear, y'all got a feather fetish, Calamity nipped playfully. Velvet giggled primly. No, I had just abandoned my home and risked whatever I could find out here for freedom. And there you were, more free than I'd ever imagined any pony could be. Not even the ground could hold you. Ah, shucks. I am no different than any other Pegasi. Oh, but you are, Velvet cooed maturely. I didn't know it at the time, but you are so much more. I always wanted to be a medical pony, and I embraced the first chance I got, but left my home behind for selfish reasons. You cut your shackles because they were preventing you from helping other ponies. You freed yourself out of compassion and kinship. Calamity was blushing now. I realised I liked seeing him like that. It brought out a beauty in him. You truly care about ponies, she continued, her eyes roaming over Calamity. And I've seen how you are with us, especially with little Pip, she said, turning back to me. He'll stand by you, never leave you, protect you even from yourself. Always there to catch me, I found myself saying softly. Velvet Remedy smiled and nodded. I feel safe with him around, because I know he will protect us. Especially you, since you seem to need it the most. But he has always been right there for me when I needed him too. I was suddenly feeling guilty again, this time for monopolising Calamity's time. I lowered my head, breathing in the calming scent of the zebra chai tea wafting up from my cup. Scowling a little, Velvet Remedy couldn't help but add, Now, I'm not saying we're a match made in the clouds. He does tend to jump to violence as a solution far too readily for my tastes, and he's not the only one. She fixed me with a look. For a few moments, her gaze held me like steel, making me squirm. Then her expression relaxed. But I realise that, in the equestrian wasteland, violence is often the most appropriate response, although not as often as you two take to it. At least both of you are motivated to shed the blood you do out of justice, compassion, and a sense of responsibility for your fellow pony, all of which seems sorely lacking in far too many ponies out here. She turned to Calamity with a look that clearly said, Your turn. Homage trotted around and sat behind me, watching unobtrusively. I felt a gentle support radiating off of her, despite her recent disappointment. I was supposed to be being punished, but there was no hint of that. I found myself fervently wishing Calamity not to blow it. I wasn't happy for them because I was worried they were going to get hurt. But I wanted them to be together, I realised. I hoped for them, and Velvet's words were like a ray of real, untainted sunshine. For the first time, I really thought that maybe they could last together, so long as Calamity didn't say anything stupid in the next few minutes, that was. Calamity shuffled, looking uncomfortable. I take it I can't just say ditto. I took a long sip from my cup. 
the slightly bitter liquid washing over my tongue. I felt the warmth of the tea spread soothingly through me. Rather Tremedy gave Calamity a shake of her head. The Pegasus reached back to brush at his mane, accidentally tipping the Desperado hat back into his eyes. Well, she's beautiful, he started. Not just that sad. Behind her out of beauty and occasionally abrasive personality, she's really beautiful inside. I winced. He was going to be paying for that last bit. I mean, from Clamity's shuffle, I guessed he knew it too, but he was being honest. I hoped Velvet took that into account. Look, when we first rescued her, I didn't know what to think. She was helping slavers, and she was, well, I was expecting her to be fancy and prissy and half-alluding like the hoax in this here tower, but she wasn't like that at all. She's beautiful, but she's, I don't know, down to earth? He paused, looking for a word, then smiled as he settled on practical. She's practical, and more importantly, she's devoted. She weren't helping slavers because she sympathizes for any of what they were doing, but because she's dedicated to helping folk. And she don't like unpleasantness or discomfort getting in the way. Calamity wrapped his tail around Velvet Remedy, who was holding him with rapt attention. She's faithful. She's stuck by our side, even if we walked into hell. Her wanting to play diplomatic with aggressive or evil types does wear thin, but I reckon maybe there's something to it sometimes. And she does that because she really does care about folk and is committed to helping them. Even if a mess them don't deserve it. Ain't like her to ask if they do. He shrugged. Now, how could I not absolutely love her for that? Looking into Velvet's eyes, Calamity finished by saying, It's like you just what the doctor ordered, you know? Velvet rolled her eyes at the corniness, but smiled. The equestrian wasteland ain't a pretty place. It's rough, and it's grim, and it's bloody. And some days, it can be hard to remember what's worth fighting for out here. But I don't have to look any further than at this here charcoal unicorn man next to me to be reminded just how good ponies can be, and just how worth it all the struggle is. Part of me wanted to jump up and hug them. Part of me wanted to tell them to get a room. But then I was kind of to blame for them not being there. Okay, I'm convinced, I said with a smile. Amage wrapped her forelegs around me from behind. Our coupleness made me feel less awkward in front of theirs. Yes, Velvet Remedy said suddenly to Calamity while giving the cakes a declining look. I think they did things on this table. Amage bit one of my suddenly burning ears playfully. I changed the subject. So, how long have you been together? Calamity laughed. You mean, physically? Since what? He looked at Velvet, who was trying to keep a ladylike distance from the question. Yesterday? I blinked. Oh, come on, little Pip. We didn't even kiss before last week. Velvet Remedy sighed, then said smoothly, Really, little Pip, we have you to thank that we have a relationship at all. Wait, what? Yep. Even word for you acting like we was already a couple back at the stable, I don't think we would have started looking at each other that way. I blushed so hard I could have caught on fire. Calamity rolled two memory orbs across the table to me. You said it was okay to see these again. I caught them in a telekinetic blanket, careful not to focus directly on either of them. Are they mine? Nah, I traded for them. The caravan pony claimed they were genuine memories of Rainbow Dash. He gave me a wry smirk as my heart gave a little leap. 
I was actually thrilled to learn anything more I could about those ponies. When has it become such a passion? Are they? From what you said last time, Clamity responded with a voice suggesting he felt snookered. Not exactly. I floated them into my saddlebags for safekeeping and finished my tea. It was now barely lukewarm. The conversation had lasted a while. After Velvet and Clamity had taken their leave, I felt Amarja's forelegs slip away from me. The cups, saucers and plate of cakes lit up with the glow of Amarja's horn and began to float themselves back into the kitchen sink. I felt like a warm blanket had been pulled from me on a chilly winter's night. I guess I should go now. I'm still being punished, right? I got up and began moving, but not in any particular direction. Yes, Amarj said a touch reluctantly. I wished punishment didn't mean having to be apart from her. The thought of being alone tonight hurt more now than it did before. I stopped next to a desk littered with Amarj's personal things. She had a triptych of pictures framed on the desk. Pictures of me in the wasteland, my friends nearby. The pictures were taken from someplace high above and far away. Zoomed in until I nearly filled the frame, but washed out with the odd tint of all the air between the camera and its subject. I suspected that the pictures were taken by the cameras on those spires, and I suspected the willing separation tonight hurt homage as much as me. Couldn't you just spank me instead or something? I asked hoping for a faster punishment. Amarge laughed. No, no, but tomorrow night I might, as a reward. I looked at her in confusion, one ear dipping. How would spanking be a reward? Oh, oh, oh my gosh. I lost balance, my head crashing into the desktop. I backed up, stumbling and seeing stars. Amarge was chuckling even as she trotted up to make sure I was okay. I think I better go now, I told her, before I hurt myself again. I ambled through the market sector of Tempony Tower, paying little attention to the ponies around me. The smells from the restaurants and snack shops teased my nostrils with promises that were probably too wonderful for the centuries-old packaged foods to deliver, but I let my nose drag me towards one of them anyway. Looking at the wall-mounted menu... My eyes widened at the prices, each of which was now written in pencil with the telltale signs of several previous erasings. I lifted my pit buck, checking how many caps I had on hoof. Velvet Remedy was the queen of barter, and so we'd be letting her keep most of our caps. I barely had enough for a sparkle cola or a box of stuffed apple cakes, filled with a sweet candy-like filling and 5,000 times the daily recommended amount of preservatives. Yay! I plopped down my bottle caps and ordered the cola. I watched as a pony slid the caps off the counter with a hoof, then picked up a crowbar in his mouth and trotted back to a still functional sparkle cola machine, prying it open and fetching my drink. A chain and a padlock on the ground told me how they'd kept their supplies secure at night. I took my cola, floating it to my muzzle and tasting the lukewarm, deliciously carroty flatness. I was an hour into my exile and already hating it. I spotted Calamity leaving the constabulary looking disgruntled. Highway robbery, he groused. Anywhere else, I could buy an armor-piercing round rod they're asking for a rubber one, he added. Well, if anywhere else sold them. I scampered over to trot at his side. How's your wing? Calamity smiled, judging my intentions. Velvet and I are both doing fine. Well, not fine. She's hurting inside. What happened to both of us at Old Olney scares her badly. But we're working through it together. So don't go trying to set us up with a shrink again. 
I blinked. I did that? I had considered it earlier. Uh, yep. Not one of your better plans, Calamity noted. But well-intentioned. I wasn't sure I wanted to see that memory, ever. We walked in silence for a while. I drank from my cola and then offered some to my friend. Calamity accepted, biting down on the bottle's rim and tilting it back for a swig. Then he passed it back. We walked on in silence some more. I'm worried, little Pip. I nodded. There are about a hundred things for us to be worried about, plus several extra ones for Calamity as he plunged into this newly deeper relationship with Velvet Remedy. The Enclave. That experiment at Old Olney. That was new. Post-Calamity new. I don't know why they would be there, why they would be doing that, or what they're all up to. He looked up at me, and I'm worried. Of all the possible worries he might have, this was the one I expected the least. But I knew that I shouldn't have. These were his pony folk, his old home. They had to be weighing on him as much as concerns for Stable 2 weighed on me. The Pegasi are good pony folk, Calamity said. Whatever happens, remember that. Because the Enclave, they ain't. Not so much. I was in a large foyer marbled in grey. Large vertical windows let in the grey light of a rainy day. Outside, a dozen ponies were protesting, chanting and waving signs in the rain. Inside, ponies trotted about on personal business, or stood conversing in clumps. Many wore long raincoats still slick with a wet sheen. A few were hauling small wagons filled with boxes. My host was an earth pony mare sitting behind a long counter, gazing languidly at the text on a terminal. From the stirring warmth in certain parts of her body, the story she was fixated on was of a cloppy nature and probably not safe for work. A familiar voice echoed from somewhere above and safely distant enough that my host was able to change the screen to a memo on wartime stress disorder without rushing suspiciously. She looked back and up, her eyes moving to a spiralling set of wrought iron stairs that descended from a mezzanine level above. The whole lobby gave me the impression of ministry architecture. A flash of light erupted about four yards from my host's counter, wrenching her attention away from the stairwell before she could spot who she was looking for. Rarity stood in the lobby, wobbling slightly. Her dress, mane, and the large satchel on her side all hissed up wisps of smoke. She blinked, wide-eyed, seeming disoriented. But in an eye blink, she had gathered herself together and was trotting up to my host with an urgent expression. Hello, welcome to... My host began politely but Rarity was in too much of a hurry for niceties. Yes, yes, I know where I am, and I know who you are, she said, waving the hoof. I need to know if Rainbow Dash is still here. Please tell me I haven't missed her. Before my host could answer, that familiar voice answered for her. Hovering about halfway down the spiral staircase, Rainbow Dash exclaimed loudly, Whoa, Rarity! Did you just teleport here? Standing on the steps behind Rainbow Dash, Applejack was looking equally impressed. Her orange coat and blonde mane made for a welcome splash of warm colours in the stark, cool room. Rarity paused, seeing the two of them, and then smiled with a soft whinny. Yes, well, I have been trading spells at Twilight for years now, and let me tell you, it is not as easy as she makes it look. With a wince, she added, How's my mane? Rainbow Dash swooped down to greet her. It's fine! Descending down the stairs, Applejack added, It's gorgeous! It looked like she'd run a few laps around a burning house. So, what's up? 
Rainbow Dash asks cheerfully. Rarity glanced behind her and up towards Applejack, a brief look of unease passing over her face, and then turned to Rainbow Dash. I had some things to talk to you about, but it can wait until you're alone. Rainbow Dash blinked, and then her eyes opened wide. She whispered, Oh, about the new... Then glanced back towards Applejack, too. Armor? Rarity nodded. That and the other thing. I've been having a lot of trouble trying to perfect that spell, and I wanted to see the device you wanted to bed it into. Oh! Rainbow Dash reached back and scratched at her rainbow mane with a forehoof. Well, Apple Bloom's all set to procure a life support capsule for the Ministry of Peace. We should have it by next week. But, well, she's going to be modifying it a lot. Do you need to wait until it's finished? Rarity raised an eyebrow. Apple Bloom is part of this too? Uh, yeah, why? Is that a problem? Well, Rarity said, crushing her left forehoof in circles against the marble floor. I really don't want my little sister anywhere near this research of mine, and she and Applebloom are the best of friends. Did I hear my little sister's name? Applejack said, trotting up from the bottom of the stairs. Rainbow Dash turned and smiled. Yeah, she's helping me on a project. I thought the Ministry of Awesome didn't actually do anything. Dash snorted and puffed herself up. Well, they don't do anything that isn't awesome, you mean? Rarity and Applejack exchanged looks of doubt. Anyway, Rarity said a little too hastily, I really should be going. What? Applejack said. You mean you teleported all the way over here to just go? She frowned. How come I get the feeling I'm undesired company? Unwanted? Rarity gasped. Oh, heavens no. If anything, I want more Applejack. I snickered inwardly and was glad my eavesdropping host didn't do the same. We don't see each other nearly enough anymore. It feels like it's been ages since... She paused, then chimed up. Idea! We're together now. Let's do lunch. Rainbow Dash shrugged. Sure, why not? Applejack chimed in. Well, I've got back now before I've got to be at a meeting with all the governors on the Ministry of Technology. And there's a new apple for the place that the Caramel Apples kids just opened up, which I've been meaning to try. Sounds perfect. Rody clapped off on hooves with a demure squee. Wait, aren't those the same Bruce who tried to kill you with an elevator? Applejack's eyes narrowed. That ain't never been proven. Still, the idea of you spending time in a room with that lot. Yeah. Rainbow Dash jumped in. Want me to come with you? If they're planning anything funny, I'll make them think twice. I can handle myself just fine, Dash. But I do thank y'all kindly for the offer. Seeing her two friends still frowning, unconvinced, she sighed and added, Besides, Sergeant Steelhooves has already offered to be my personal escort. Have I met this guy? Rainbow Dash asked suspiciously. Are you sure you can trust him? Applejack sighed. I don't think you have, but he served with my brother. He trusted him, and so do I. A smirk scrawled across her muzzle. Besides, I don't plan on being there too long. Just enough to give my speech. I've been practicing it all day. Wanna hear it? Rarity's eyes widened at the thought of listening through an entire speech by Applejack, or perhaps just alarmed at having to do so in a public lobby while her mane was still frizzy. Maybe over lunch? She suggested. Sure! Rainbow Dash encouraged Applejack with considerably more volume. Let's hear it! Okay. Applejack paused, stood straight and tall, cleared her throat, and closed her eyes. Y'all, 
are fired. Rarity and Rainbow Dash stared. Applejack opened one eye and blushed. Well, how was it? That's it? Yep. She blushed some more, looking a little proud of herself and yet a touch worried. Awesome! You tell him, AJ! Rainbow Dash grinned wildly as Rarity stomped on the floor with applause. Dang! Now I want to go just to see their faces! Hey, Rainbow Dash! A voice called out from the doorway, causing her head to whip around. Three elderly peggers had trotted into the lobby. One of them, a light grey buck with a short cropped and age-grey mane that fell over his eyes, had not been wearing a rain slicker and shook himself, spraying water everywhere to the shouts and grumbles of the ponies in the lobby around him. Hello, welcome, my host began to say, but her words trailed off as the three Pegasus pushed their way up to Rainbow Dash, ignoring every pony else, including her friends. Hey, Rainbow, remember me? A mustard-coloured buck asked, stepping forward in front of the others. He was an unusually large buck, his rain slicker covering only half of his flank, revealing most of a large orange basketball through cutie mark. I wondered idly if he had one ball or two, and then I immediately wanted to jam my hoof in my eye to kill the mental image that followed. Rainbow looked at them, then narrowed her eyes and shook her head. I'm sorry, no. I'm rather busy and only have time to remember really important ponies. The three all scowled. The mustard one growled, shoving a hoof in Rainbow's breast. Well then, maybe you remember my little brother. He was one of the pegs I got killed fighting that dragon over Hoopington. Rainbow Dash's eyes went wide. Her demeanor changed immediately. Uh, I'm so sorry. Several brave ponies died valiantly that day. Yeah, said the third. A pegasus of colour of dark dust with piercing blue eyes and a few remaining strands of a sandy mane on his bald-coated head. Seems like an awful lot of pegasi die valiantly these days. Seems like we do the bulk of the dying. I don't know any pony in Cloudsdale who ain't lost family. Rainbow Dash nodded sadly. The war? The war? The dark dust pony scoffed. The war is on the ground against zebras. And dragons, Rainbow Dash reminded him. They're using dragons now. In case you somehow forgot, not to mention Griffin Mercs. And some of them have magic fetishes that can allow them to fly. Rarity chimed in knowingly. If you think it's impossible for an earthbound mare to fly her way into Cloudsdale with the right magic, you have tragically short memories. The mustard-coloured one spat. Well, they wouldn't be bringing in dragons if the Pegasi hadn't just stayed out of the war. Now I hear you're pushing Luna's new initiative to put even more Pegasi in the front line. You won't be satisfied until every one of us is facing down zebra guns. If the... had just... Rainbow Dash spluttered. What? And we ain't the only ones who think that neither. The balding one informed Rainbow Dash coldly. And while we might not be important, my sister is the mayor of Cloudsdale, and she... Now just wait one Applebuck a minute. Applejack interrupted loudly. Now, I know y'all have lost kid, and I know just how much that hurts. She strode up to the mustard-coloured buck. I lost my own brother in this war. His name was Big Macintosh. Y'all may have heard of him. The mustard-coloured pony had the dignity to look abashed. I heard a click and a whir from above. My host turned away from the argument to the text on her screen disappeared, replaced by a flashing warning. Live grenade detected. At seemingly the same instant, Rarity gasped. Grenade! Ponies began to scatter, running into each other not knowing which way to go. Rarity's magic flared around her satchel, opening it. Beams of coloured light shot out from the twin magical energy turrets which descended from the ceiling. They struck a pony in the crowd, 
turning her into a burning pink silhouette of whoever she had just been. My host looked down, scanning the floor, her actions seeming unbearably slow. I mentally shouted for her to duck for cover, but she seemed transfixed. Her eyes fell upon the metal apple not two yards from her desk. The dark bulk of a large open book fell down over it, and four white hooves jumped on top. The book! In an instant, the fire and a swirling magical energy underneath the book. A crackling sound that left a buzzing silence in its wake, and a ripping of explosive force that threw Rarity back. My host stumbled, disoriented, a ringing in her ears. Everyone was shouting, but their voices seemed muffled and far away. I'd spotted the black book. It had landed next to Rarity, smoking, but undamaged. I felt conflicting waves of horror and relief. How could any book survive smothering a magical energy grenade? What kind of book was this? And yet, the stars that it wasn't hurt. The book was dangerous, but it was valuable. Just looking at it, I knew how useful it might be. Rainbow Dash was fast. She flew up to my host, breaking her out of her fear and just paralysis with a clop of her forehooves. Lock this place down! She shouted over the ringing in my ears. Gather the witnesses and call the Ministry of Morale. Some pony saw something, even if they don't know it. Applejack was trotting around, calling out. Oh, is every pony okay? Any pony hurt? She turned to my host and lifted a hoof as she shouted. Her voice sounded like it was coming to me through yards of thick cotton, but at least the buzzing was quickly fading. Call up the Ministry of Peace. Tell them to send counsellors. My host nodded. Rarity groaned, getting shaky to her hooves and rubbing her ears. Quick thinking, Rarity, Applejack said, dashing over to help her up. I reckon you had to save a mess of lives with... Applejack froze, staring at the black book. Is that what I think it is? Turning to Rarity, a dark scowl crossing her face, Applejack said, You said you were going to get rid of that cursed thing. Dusting herself off, Rarity stared back. I said I would burn it, Rarity said calmly, and I tried. But, as you can see, it doesn't burn. Lowering her voice, she whispered something to Applejack that made the Earth Pony's ears shoot up in alarm. Then raising her voice again, she added, I even tried to have Spike burn it. All that did was send it to Princess Celestia. I winced. Even my host winced, realising that it couldn't have led to a pleasant conversation. Applejack frowned, clearly wanting to believe her friend, but having doubts all the same. Rarity's guilty look wasn't helping. Well, you still should have gotten rid of it. How? Rarity retorted stubbornly. I doubt anything short of a mega spell could destroy it, and I certainly don't want to dispose of the book where it could find its way into the wrong hooves. Damn it! Rainbow Dash piped up, unknowingly interrupting her friends before their fierce discussion could grow into an argument. Dash had flown over to the pile of ash that which had once been a pony. Whose idea was it to use magical energy defences in here? A pile of ash isn't going to conveniently tell you who it was or offer up its former possessions for investigation. Zebra sympathizers, I would suspect, intoned Rarity dourly, turning towards the very upset blue-coated Pegasus. Y'all shouldn't jump to that conclusion, Rarity, Applejack warned. I don't like this blaming zebras for everything that goes wrong. It certainly wouldn't be the first time they've taken a shot at me, Rarity bristled. She looked at Applejack with surprise. After Zakora's betrayal, I'm surprised you still defend them. Just because Zakora turned out to be a bad apple, don't mean all of them are. Applejack insisted. 
Even though my host was paying more attention to the Earth Pony and the Unicorn, I was able to catch a brief guilty look across across Rainbow Dash's face. I realised suddenly that Rarity and Applejack didn't know the truth about their zebra friend. The reality behind Zakora's defection was a carefully guarded secret held only by two mares, and probably only the tiniest fraction of ponies within their respective ministries. Ain't like there ain't other pony folk who might want to take a shot at one of us. Rarity met Applejack's statement with wide eyes. Oh dear, you're right. But well, if it was one of them who was behind it, they sure as sugar ain't stopped me from getting to that meeting. Hell! Rainbow Dash blurted out, flying up. For all we know, the target might have been that lot. She pointed a hind hoof towards the three pegasi cowering in a corner. What they were speaking about is pretty much just sedition. Her expression was cross and grim. I'm beginning to think Crowsdale needs a Ministry of Morale Hub. Rarity looked around desperately. Oh dear, oh dear. Lunch is off, I'm afraid. I need to get back to Image. We don't have much time to figure out what to tell the news ponies to say about this. Three Ministry mares. Oh, this is bad. We have to move on this now. As Rarity magically scooped up the book and vanished in another flash, my host finally began to actually do her job. When I returned from the memory orb, I was no longer on the secluded bench outside some restrooms where I'd laid down to view it. I was someplace else, dark and cold. The black book floated in the darkness before me, just an afterimage that was already fading. A spotlight fled to life above me, its beam pinning me to the ornate purple and pink marbled floor as it destroyed any adjustments my eyes were trying to make to the dark. I brought up my eyes forward sparkle, detecting at least half a dozen figures in the shadows about me. According to my EFS compass, they were not hostile. That only relaxed me slightly, considering I had apparently been abducted. Hello? I asked, not trying to keep the annoyance from my voice. Who are you and what do you want? I immediately suspected they wanted me to do something, some task to perform, some new distraction that would further divert me from my date with the Cantalot ruins. If so, they were in for a disappointment. I chose when and if I strayed on task, and I'd done too much of that already. There was a clock ticking, and there was a bomb poised to destroy this very tower and everyone in it. I did not have time for games. A pony trotted forward, concealed under a full robe. Under his hood, his face was cast into black shadow by the light from above, but the folds of the hood made it clear that he was a unicorn, and enough light bounced up from the marbled floor to recognise a mottled brown coat. "'Greetings, little Pip,' said a familiar voice that I couldn't quite place. The voice had the tones of a refined gentle stallion, but shied away from sounding too haughty. "'We apologise for the rude awakening.' "'We? Who?' I asked, but I already knew. "'We call ourselves the Twilight Society,' the gentle stallion proclaimed. I forced myself not to ask if he was kidding. "'Very enigmatic. And who are you really?' I said." biting back Dika's sarcasm. And what do you want? The unicorn under the hood restrained a chortle. He whinnied. Why, that is exactly correct. You two have enigmatic titles, do you not? Stable dweller? Wasteland heroine? We have been told that you are the saviour of the wasteland and the bringer of light. I cringed. They weren't titles I had ever wanted, nor ones I had ever thought myself worthy of. And now... I was under a spotlight, being judged for a reputation I couldn't control and couldn't live up to. 
What we want, the gentle stallion continued, is to know who you are. Really. I snorted. And you kidnapped me to find out. You could have just asked. These conversations are not for prying ears, another voice said from the darkness to my left. You have already been in places you were not meant to be, shown things no pony was allowed to reveal. A third voice said, this time to my right. Suddenly, I was worried for homage. She'd clearly broken the rules of this overly dramatic group of ponies to help me. What might they do in response? Murmurs rippled through the darkness around me. You have used for your own goals the very secrets that we hold guardianship over. Oh. I know too much, right? Is that what this is? That is but half of what this is, the gentle stallion said, addressing me. We have been cancelled to make available to you the full might and mystery of this place. We have not yet made our decision, yet you have availed yourself of our secrets anyway. You are a risk, claimed the voice from my right, not only to us, but to all that could one day be accomplished with what we guard here. I stomped. Bullshit! I've heard that crap before! Two hundred years, and you've done nothing with what you have! I turned, advancing towards the source of the voice on my right. A cloaked pony, hiding under a hood as he hid in the shadows. He backed up, bristling nervously. You're hiding your secrets away because they're special! I spat. And they make you feel special and important! Not because you're ever going to put them into any use to make a difference! Tempony Tower is a bastion of a civilization in the wilderness. The gentle stallion commented serenely. I would suggest we have done quite a lot. Yeah, it is. But that isn't you, is it? I rounded on him. The only damn one of you doing any good at all is... I paused before I said her name. DJ Pwn3! At least she can keep a secret. Nicked a fourth voice from somewhere behind me. We are only the most recent inheritors of these secrets. You are unwise to judge us by the failures of those in generations past. The gentle stallion said. I frowned, biting my tongue. He had a point. And perhaps you are right. The gentle stallion said earnestly. Perhaps it is time for us to make greater use of what is hidden here. But to do so carries great risk. Not only from the greedy and wicked outside our gates, but from within. Who can we trust to guide the use of this power and these resources? Who can we know will not become corrupted by it? I sighed heavily. So what do you want from me? I asked. How can I persuade you that I'm not going to become the next red eye if I'm given a little help? Your memories. I jolted with shock. What? You have several days of memories extracted earlier today from within our secluded chambers. We require access to those memories. They wanted my memories. A chunk of my life. One that I didn't even know the contents of. No! I stomped. Those are my memories. They're private. We could ask you who you are, but you would only tell us what you want us to hear. The perceptions of others are fragments and heavily coloured by their own perceptions. How better could we possibly learn who you really are? I fumed. I didn't want to trust something so precious to these strangers. I didn't trust them. I trusted homage. That was all. Plus, it felt wrong. Like a violation. Which I knew was hypocritical at best, considering how much time I'd spent prying into the memories of others. The voice on my left intoned. 
We already know that Red-Eye is threatening this tower and the lives of every pony in it to motivate you. If you're playing with our lives, do you not at least think we deserve to know what the score is? I stopped fuming, considering that. Finally, I took a deep breath. Will I get them back? If the answer was no, the deal was off, and if necessary, I would fight my way out of here. Of course. Fine! Then, yes, but on two conditions. Underneath his robe, the gentle stallion cocked his head. And what conditions would those be? One, the memories do not leave Amarja's possession. I trust her to guard them. So far, I have no reason to trust the rest of you. Agreed. And two? Amarja continues to live here as long as she wants, safe from any repercussions of having helped me for revealing what she did. More murmurs. Unhappy ones. Non-negotiable, I said. I hoped I still had this card to play. What if they decided they really weren't that interested in me after all? But the gentle stallion answered, Agreed. I felt a sigh of relief. Conditionally. I felt my heart skip a beat. The robed pony elaborated. No actions will be taken against homage until all of us have had the opportunity to view the memory orbs. Should what they reveal of your character and methods persuade us to deem you an asset rather than a threat, then no action will be taken against her and record of her misdeeds will be expunged. If, however, your memories prove you are a menace to our society or this tower as a whole, then homage will be judged accordingly. I knew that by agreeing to this, I would be putting my memories in jeopardy, running the risk of that I might never see them. But in the end... What else could I do? My memories were a small price to pay compared to the potential rewards. I prayed that I had at least a shred of the character that DJ Pwn3 attributed to me. I was relying on myself to have at least been a decent pony. I was given the memory orb again and instructed to lose myself in it while they returned me to the bench they took me from, all of which seemed utterly silly to me, but I went along anyway. I suspected Lifebloom was with them, and that made me feel just a touch safer, if only because Homage and Velvet seemed to think well of him. When I came out of the memory orb for a second time, the feeling of déjà vu was almost enough to make me wonder if I'd imagined the Twilight Society. I wondered how often the ponies in Tempony Tower suddenly found their days interrupted, and what the Twilight Society used when there wasn't a convenient memory orb in play. Revisiting the orb in the wake of my odd abduction had left me thinking about secrets. About the dissemination of information... Covert operations depended on secrecy for the safety of those involved, but it seemed cruel for Rainbow Dash and Pinkie Pie to leave Applejack and Rarity in the dark about Sakura, believing that a close friend of theirs had betrayed them. Was it necessary to cause them that pain? Could they have been trusted with the secrets? Everything I had seen suggested that Rarity was well practiced in keeping them, but Applejack? How convincing could the bearer of the element of honesty be if put into a position where she had to maintain a lie? Was it better for every pony, and one zebra, that she not know? I packed up the memory orb, checking that my pit buck to make sure the others were still with me, and with all my equipment in its proper place. Then, getting up, I started to walk down the hallway, away from the bathrooms. My mind was still engaged in contemplation. Likewise, it was clear from several previous memories that the mares knew the truth about the zebra religion, or at least knew enough about their beliefs regarding Nightmare Moon to try and use that against them. 
but Steel Hooves had been blindsided by the idea. Clearly, a decision had been made by the heads of the government not to inform the general population, or even the lower ranks. I found myself second-guessing the decisions, even though I could understand why. How demoralising would that knowledge have been? Would knowing have served any positive purpose? Littlehorn was such a painful horror, the massacre of a school full of pony children, that it left a black and a weeping wound in the psyche of Equestria. Littlehorn had surely been a point of no return for both sides. At that point, I wondered if the ponies would have been any more capable of surrender than the zebras were. A zebra dropped down in front of me. I jumped back, already floating out little Macintosh, my heart pounding, but recognition struck and relief passed over me. Zenith, you scared me! Flustered, I hastily slid little Macintosh back into its holster. I mean, uh, you broke my train of thought. Brave little pony, she intoned. Where have you been? Hiding, she said simply. When they took you, I followed. But they did not seem to want to hurt or threaten you, so I did not act. Suddenly, I felt a lot better about the day's strange interlude. At the same time, I realised that I needed to speak to Homage and let her know what was coming, if she didn't already know. I'm going to see Homage, I said, not adding, if she'll let me. Are you okay following? I remembered the zebra's discomfort with Homage, and wondered if that was why I hadn't seen her all day. Well, that and her ability to hide like a living stealth buck, and on the ceiling no less. If you wish. I stopped. Well, what do you wish? It does not matter, Zenith informed me. I am not welcome here, so I cannot do as I wish. For too many, my stripes make me the enemy. Or worse, a demon from the past responsible for all the misery in the world. That's unfair. It does not matter that it is unfair. It still is. She looked down. Sometimes I feel as if I am an earth pony, and my stripes are really great wounds. A punishment for some great wrong the ancestors of my ancestors were connected to. I shuddered, as much as the pain and resignation in her voice as the mental image her words conjured. There had to be something I could do. If you could do anything, what would you want to do most? I would like to go shopping, Zenith said. She smiled at my surprise. What? Everyone likes to shop. I would like to be able to stride into a store, look around, greeting the sales pony, and make purchases, all while being treated only as rudely as every other pony customer is. I felt a little rocked by the normalcy of the request. I tried to imagine how it must be not to be able to even go into a shop to buy. I couldn't, and I felt awful for it. Surely they had to be a way to fix this. We could dye her coat a new colour, Amarge suggested as she floated the huge painting of Splendid Valley away from her safe. She was moving my box of memory orbs to another location so that she would not have to reveal this safe when the Twilight Society came for them. A near-black charcoal would hide her beautiful stripes enough for a modest gown and hat to obscure them completely. Although for the life of me, I can't imagine wanting to do that. Amarge turned and smiled warmly to Zenith. You're gorgeous the way you are. Zenith scowled. I'm being honest, Amarge insisted. I'm sure my little Pip has drank in the sight of you at least once. Haven't you, little Pip? She asked, deliberately putting me in a humiliating spotlight. All the worse because I immediately thought of staring at Zenith's flanks back in stable too. 
See? Amage laughed. That burning face means Little Pip's been watching you. Zenith was staring at me. I sunk to the floor, putting my forehooves over my head. After a few excruciating moments, Zenith replied, I am a zebra, and a scarred one at that. Yes, Amage agreed, unlocking her safe, and a beautiful, sexy pair of a zebra at that. A simple glamour should then mask your zebraness from notice. Amar suggested as she swung the door of the safe open. But are you sure you want to hide who you are and what you are like this? I hide all the time, Zenith said simply. This is no diff... Zenith made a slight choking noise, backing up, her eyes fixed on something just beyond Amarge. At her reaction, we both followed her gaze. The Star Blaster. You have it locked away like a treasured possession, Zenith intoned. Amarge frowned. I have it locked up to keep it from hurting any pony. Zenith blinked. Zebra cast looked to me as she slowly asked. Then you know that it yearns to kill. Amarge gave me a quick, quizzical look. I tried to return it with an expression that told her Zenith was deadly serious in the claim. Amarge didn't laugh. She didn't look like she found the idea even a little funny. I'll admit, I'm a much better shot with that thing than I've been with any other weapon I've tried, including other magical energy weapons. But I attribute that to magical energy weapons being damn rare in most parts of the equestrian wasteland, and all the others I've had have been poorly maintained pieces of trash. Zenith remained silent, waiting. No, I don't think it actually wants to kill. I don't believe the thing is alive or sentient, Amage told her. But I do believe that it was made by crafters with murderous intentions. Crafters? Zenith asked. It's a complex technomagical tool. I don't think the stars just willed it into existence. Someone, or something, made it. She looked at the zebra. Isn't that how the stars work? They help guide people to their own destruction? I was startled by the response. I remembered now that it was Amage who first spoke to me of the zebra's mythology, and she had spoken as one who put some credence to the notions. Then you believe as we do? Zenith asked slowly. I believe that most all religion is born of a mixture of truth and fantasy, hope and fear. How much truth is in all one mythology is hard to say. Amarge pulled the box full of my memories from the safe before closing the safe up again, sealing the weapon from the stars away once more. But I believe that the amount of truth in the zebra's legends is a good bit more than zero. I don't believe that your ancient ancestors understood the stars nearly as much as they believed they did. Amarge looked at me, addressing us both. But I've seen enough to be certain that the void beyond the moon holds wonders and terrors far beyond our imaginations and that at least some of what is out there is malicious beyond our conception of evil, and is looking this way with hostile intention. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I have changed my mind, claimed the exotic voice of the charcoal black earth pony next to me, who was really Zenith. I like her. Zenith, the not a zebra, was peering into jars of strange things floating in strange liquids that lined the back shelf of the secluded apothecary which crouched around the corner from the main stores like a little colt hiding from bullies. The proprietor kept shooting us nasty looks, but I felt they were more directed at me than Zenith. She was dressed in a gown of subtle goldenrod and ivy with a matching wide-brimmed hat. The entire ensemble made her look not only lovely, but right at home amongst the fine ladies and gentle stallions of Tempony Tower. I just looked like me. Like who? I asked before I realised the obvious answer. Homage? I suddenly felt a little giddy. The knotter zebra nodded with a smile. I wanted to dance about, shouting, Yes! But I was already getting enough looks from the proprietor. Zenith had clearly been enjoying her evening, strolling openly down the streets, passing through the crowds, sitting down at the same restaurant and being served by the same snobbish waiters paying the same unreasonable prices as every pony else for confections made of sweet potato pudding and deep-fried apple sauce. More than once, some pony had slightly suggested she take me to a dress shop and gave her sympathetic looks, as if I was a younger relative she had been burdened with and my appearance was some sort of youthful rebellion. Sometimes I hated being small-framed. The selection here is wonderful, Zenith commented, but I had not expected such high prices. In case you haven't noticed, miss, the stallion behind the counter grumped, we're not getting any fresh product anytime soon. It's a seller's market. The prices of everything in Tempony Tower had tripled since the first time I had been here. Red Eye's blockade was killing commerce with the caravans and scavengers. I could feel an undercurrent of worry in the marketplace. Earlier, a mare had snorted, exclaiming, The mere thoughts of the wines meant for my cellar being sold instead in one of those dirty little places like Gutterville or Arbu gives me the vapours. I'd remembered how much I really didn't like the company of these ponies. Shouts from outside drew our attention. Zenith smiled politely to the stallion glowering from behind the counter, saying, We will be right back. He didn't look like he believed it and scowled at me as if I'd been intentionally wasting his time. Backing away from him, I turned to follow Zenith out of the shop. Ladies and gentle stallions gathered by the nearest outside windows in small crowds. Prim and proper young fillies and colts squirmed about and climbed on their parents, momentarily forgetting proper decorum as they tried to get a peek. Zenith, revelling in her ability to talk to the strangers, asked, "'What is the commotion?' It surprised me, not for the first time, how easily she blended in, now that the perceived stigma of her race had been obfuscated. "'The slavers!' a colt replied as he quickly trotted past us, heading towards a window. "'They're leaving!' "'I don't like this!' I told Zenith as we stood at one of the windows, looking down through the darkness of early night. The burning lights of torches drifted away from the base of Tempony Tower like rivulets of lava. Over half of Red Eye's horses were pulling out. 
The only reason I could think of for Red Eye to withdraw before I fulfilled my end of the bargain is if he decided to blow the tower anyway. Now! But then, would he not remove all of his men? Zenith asked cautiously. Not if he wanted to make sure we weren't able to evacuate. I suggested, although I realised it didn't make much sense. I couldn't think of another reason for this behaviour. Perhaps it is part of your cunning plan, Zenith suggested hopefully. It doesn't feel like it. Aren't I supposed to be being punished? I asked, sitting on Amarja's bed inside Twilight Sparkle's Anthonium, staring out of the huge windows at the retreating forces. I was tense and worried. I wanted to know what Red Eye was up to and why he was making a move. And while I had nothing but a gut instinct to base my opinions on, it didn't feel like it was something I'd predicted. Throughout the tower, the ponies were cautiously optimistic. I gave up, Amarge admitted as she sat down behind me and began to massage my shoulders, working to relieve my tension. Zenith had convinced me not to assume the worst, but that didn't keep me from contemplating all the other avenues of bad. Amarge's gentle hooves worked in slow circles over my shoulders and down my spine, moving towards my flanks. I couldn't hold back a sigh. My eyes flew open as a dark thought stuck into my brain like a dagger. Amarge, you know I've been tainted, right? The goddesses only know what that vile stuff did to me. I might be abnormal now. Amarge giggled softly, not at all the response I had expected. Love, she said, sending a thrill up my spine. We've already had this conversation. Oh... I said, feeling embarrassed. Amarge planted kisses up the length of my mane. The highlights. Both Dr. Helpinghoof and Lifebloom have given you a look over. There is a tiny mutation, but it's benign. Nothing to worry about. She gave one of my ears a nibble. The fact that you risked taint for me and the ponies of this tower has not gone unnoticed. Or unappreciated. Especially by me. I felt relief. The dagger in my brain melted away. I've even checked you over myself, quite thoroughly, and you are definitely still my little pip. My ears shot up as she whispered, Orb number eight. I held homage in my forelegs, nuzzling her softly. She leaned into me, her body warm, her breathing pleasantly heavy. Homage? I asked with trepidation. I didn't want to spoil the night. Yes, love? Amarja's sweet voice panted gently up to me. Are you doing all right? After that, oh yes, she giggled. I tickled her absently, enjoying the ability just to touch her. You know what I mean. Things have been rough lately. And a few days ago, what you had to do to save us... Amarja sighed and curled around to look at me, even though we couldn't really see each other in the darkness... After all you've been through for me, you're still more worried about me than yourself. That was a dodge, and I wasn't going to let her get away with it. That doesn't change the question. Joke Blue was usually the one doing the shooting, Homage admitted. I've only taken the life a few times, not counting beasts or robots. But each time, it was to save some pony. Although sometimes that pony was myself. She reached up a hoof to brush my muzzle. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I'm really no good at it. But I don't regret it.
The next morning, a light rain had begun to drizzle, spotting the windows and making the grey on grey of the Manhattan ruins into a monochromatic haze. I'd used my binoculars to search the ground below, startled to find that only a third of Red Eye's forces remained, but they looked like they were camped out permanently. My heart felt heavy, and my head was foggy from a lack of sleep, the latter being entirely Armage's fault. Not that I minded, not even slightly, but I was beginning to feel guilty for the amount of attention she lavished on me compared to the other way around. I couldn't do anywhere near the things to her that she could do to me, and I was beginning to feel inadequate in comparison. I'd reached the point where I was going to have to start asking her for instructions, a request that, no matter how I tried to phrase it in my head, always sounded pathetic rather than romantic. The little red wagon squeaked along behind me. I stopped as I reached the door to our suite. This time, I raised a hoof and knocked, twice. Calamity opened the door, smiling. Howdy, little bit. Morning. Good morning to you too, Calamity. I see you're in a good mood. Uh, yep. Are we ready to do this? Calamity grinned. I reckon she's been ready for a few days now. He flapped his wings, scooting out of the way. Velvet Remedy lay on the edge of her bed, and Calamity's now, I was willing to bet. Her plaster-bound legs stretched out uncomfortably in front of her. Her eyes widened as she caught the sight of the wagon, then narrowed. What exactly is that for? Today's the big day, I said sweetly. Ready to go to the clinic and get that cast removed? I can remove it myself, Velvet Remedy insisted, and you're not hauling me around in that. I wrapped her in a telekinetic blanket and floated my unicorn friend into the air. Put. Me. Down. Dark's orders, Calamity reminded Velvet. Helping Hoof wants to get a good look at your leg to make sure everything healed proper. We're your friends, I chimed in as she waved her legs helplessly in the air. We insist you get the best treatment and won't let you skimp out on it. You've always given us the best care and often shortchanged your own. Not this time. I floated her down into the wagon. She tried sticking her legs down and pushing away, but with her cast, it was a losing battle. Finally, she tucked her three good legs in and settled down into the little red wagon. You're enjoying this, aren't you? Yep, I said with a smile. I turned and strode out the door, pulling her slowly through the hall towards the elevator in the very same wagon she had once hauled me to the very same place in. You were right, I told Velvet as Dr. Helpinghoof did one final examination of my friend's foreleg. There was a slim scar that encircled her leg. It wouldn't even be visible when her coat had grown back. Velvet Remedy looked up at me as she flexed her foreleg in every possible way at the doctor's insistence. Lifebloom was standing nearby. His horn glowing as a spell allowed Helpinghoof to examine the inner workings of Velvet's leg. You said that I can't be trusted, I reminded her. She sighed heavily and started to say something that surely would have been comforting, but I didn't let her. I needed to say this. And where party-time mentals are concerned, you are right. I can't be trusted. I frowned, trying to push the words out of my muzzle, knowing I had to. I don't know if I really needed them. There's a chance I never will. She didn't know the context of that. Only Amarge and Zenith knew that my memories were now being reviewed by the Twilight Society. But I do know that when confronted with the chance to slip some into my saddlebags, I wasn't strong enough. Velvet Remedy was looking at me sadly. So, now on, I need you to do what you said you would. Go through my things. Check my pit buck. 
Maybe Life Bloom can teach you a PTM detection spell? Whatever it takes. I trembled a little, hearing the tone of begging creep into my voice. Please, I want your help. I need it. Slowly, Velvet nodded. Of course, little Pip. Well, Dr. Helping have announced, I'd say you've made a miraculous recovery, young lady. You're fit to go. He looked to Calamity. You can settle up the bill with Life Bloom on your way out. Calamity nodded, wrapping his recently wounded wing around Velvet in a snug. Looking to me, he asked, So, where do next? I pressed my lips together, thinking, The Cantalot ruins are our goal now, but we have a few places to visit along the way. The village that Zenith believes her daughter lives in is on our way. But first, we need to arm ourselves with the information we can on surviving the Pink Cloud. And that means our next trip has to be back to Stable 29. The others nodded in agreement. We need steel hooves. It was a particularly beautiful day in Ponyville. The sun was shining, pouring a warmth down upon the equestrian village that cheered both the land and the soul. Only a few clouds spotted the sky, and a mint green pegasus flew about overhead, belatedly kicking them away. Below, brightly coloured ponies trotted about their daily business, often stopping to give a neighbourly hello to those they passed on the street. A trio of bunnies darted between bushes, carrying radishes pilgrimed from somebody's garden. Oh my, Fluttershy said, watching through strands of solid pink mane as the bunnies darted between her legs. For a moment, she seemed ready to break away from the other pony she was walking with to fly after them. Now Bella's doing all right, Applejack commented, looking up into the sky. But it just ain't the same without Rainbow Dash. That's what I wanted to talk to you about, Twilight Sparkle told her, floating a letter out of her saddle pack. I got a letter from the princess today. She says that Rainbow Dash isn't just on a vacation. She signed up for the Equestrian Sky Guard. Poor dear took what happened to the Wonderbolts really hard, Rarity commented, adjusting her newest hat creation so all the feathers all float with the gentle summer breeze. I can't say that I blame her. Yes, well, the princess doesn't want to see her get put in harm's way. But it wouldn't be right for her to tell Dash no. So, Twilight opened the letter as the others gathered around her, listening intently. Princess Celestia has given us a mission. We're to travel to the Buffalo and try to strengthen diplomatic ties with them. Given Rainbow Dash's previous experience with them, the princess feels that she would be the ideal envoy. Oh, goody! Pinkie Pie bounced. I've been working on my song and I think... Oh, hi now! moaned Applejack. Oh dear, winced Rarity. Um... Ummed Fluttershy. No singing, Twilight Sparkle said sternly. But... No singing, she repeated. Princess's orders. Oh! Twilight, darling, Rarity asked, concerned. Did Princess Celestia say why exactly we are strengthening diplomatic ties with the buffalo? I mean other than to keep Rainbow Dash occupied. Twilight shook her head. A heavy silence fell over the group of friends that were distinctly at odds with the cheery brightness of the day. Applejack was the one who broke it. I heard some talk from some of the folk at the Farmer's Expo last week. They're saying... She paused, as if scared of the words she was thinking and what might happen if she said them out loud. We might be... We might be heading to a war. Fluttershy gasped and disappeared behind a stump. That's... that's impossible, Applejack. Equestria has never had a real war in... Twilight Sparkle paused, clearly running through her vast studies of Equestrian history, and finding nothing. I don't think Equestria has ever had a war, 
At least not in over a thousand years. Yeah, well, we all know how mighty stubborn ponies can get when their livelihoods are being threatened. Only this time, I fear it ain't gonna be pies the throwing. Big Mac brought home one of them newfangled firearms that take care of the cockatrice that's been attacking our pigs. Applejack was interrupted by an upset squeak from Fluttershy, who had finally managed to come back out from behind her stump. He... he wouldn't. I'm mighty sorry, Fluttershy, Applejack said apologetically, but that thing was killing our pigs. Sometimes you just gotta take care of dangerous predators the hard way. You should have told me. I could have stopped him for you, Fluttershy said uncharacteristically raising her voice just a smidgen. Now your pigs will stay dead forever. You know, only a cockatrice can reverse its own magic. And he would have if I'd had the chance to tell him to. What? Applejack moaned. Nuts and shrews. Fluttershy turned meekly to Twilight Sparkle. There's not really going to be a... Her voice faltered on the word war, becoming barely a squeak. Will there? I hope not, Twilight said. I don't know what we'd do if there was. But people would get hurt, and animals. Fluttershy was trembling just at the thought. We can't let that happen. We just can't. I think that's why the princesses wants us to start talking to the buffalo, Twilight said unsuredly. Well, whatever the reason, we'll do this together, Rarity asserted. Give me a few days to close up my shop, and we'll be ready for the trip. The others nodded. You're right. Ain't nothing we can't handle together. Applejack said, smiling at Rarity. Right, Twilight said, back on firmer ground. Whatever the cause, Princess Celestia has given us this mission and we will not fail. This was familiar to her. She'd done this before, and she could do it again. Every pony, make whatever arrangements you need to. We may be gone from Ponyville for a while. I'm going to go get Rainbow Dash. We'll meet back here in less than two days. The face she had in her friends virtually radiated from her. All of her friends nodded, Fluttershy looking both exceptionally nervous and particularly determined. Then every pony galloped off, leaving the yellow Pegasus standing on the path alone. Oh, so much to do, but we must not fail. We must not, we must not, we must not, she fretted. Who will take care of my animals? Can I help? My host asked, flying up to the distraught yellow Pegasus. Oh! Fluttershy jumped, then crouched meekly, looking around until she spotted me. Hello, Ditsy Do. I didn't see you there. She looked away shyly. Um, sure, if you would like. I felt my host smile happily. Today was a good day. Footnote. Maximum level. You know, the idea of fucking with someone's memories has never sounded well with me. I mean, I've seen a memory orb or two in my lifetime roaming the wastes, but really, that's not for me. I mean, there's that place in Dark Souls in memory magic for you for a price. I must say, never liked it there. Run by some nutty ghoul who used to work with the Ministry of Morale. Ah, sorry, off topic. Music time. Here's Skybolt with 99 problems. Enjoy, people. I've got 99 problems that are going on. So 
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.